suturing is the signature you leave on your on your surgery cases. Wow, I love that. I, I, I really believe that. I love it. And I, I take great pride in this where when I'm done with a wisdom tooth case, I hand my patient a mouth mirror and I say, look inside. Mm-hmm. I want them to see the suturing work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when they're like, wow, it's, I'm not even bleeding. It's clean, you know? Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. What was your first experience of suturing like? If you're like my guest, Nabil Kaji, then it was probably like, you know what, I got this. He had a background in embroidery, but for me, I was absolutely hopeless. And to be fair, I've improved a lot since the first days in dental school, but there's so much I still need to improve on, which is why I found you one of the best people to teach on sutures. This guy is brilliant. He's got a whole online portfolio of videos to watch, uh, and it is something that's really helped me, and I'm continuing through his course, and I want to bring him on to share with you some nuggets of inspiration to improve your suturing come Monday morning. We covered this in the episode, but you know, there's two types of courses. There are courses that you do, which will ultimately, it may not be the, the, the main goal, but ultimately it will improve your return on uh, investment or it will give you a return on investment. So I know that if I start placing implants and I got an implant year long course, it might cost me a lot of money on this uh, one year long course, but I know that there'll be a return on investment. I can offer my patients uh, implants uh, and that should reflect my bottom line. That shouldn't be the reason I do the course ideally, but it will have an ROI. There are other courses that you do and other things that we purchase like microscopes for example uh, or uh, suturing for example that you do because you know that you can give the highest quality of your care to that patient one of the things that Nabil says that when you place a suture that is your signature of the surgery and I love that saying, right? Uh, and to be fair, from my experiences with suturing, I can definitely do with a helping hand, hence why I've, uh, I've, I've come to this sort of episode. And I think I can share this with everyone uh, to, to help you all. In this episode, we're gonna cover what are the types of sutures available. If there was one suture you had to stock in the practice, which one would it be? And why you might need to venture into different types of knots and different types of sutures. The protrusive dental pearl I have for you is something that we practice uh, where I work in Reading. And every time we do an extraction, as well as giving the verbal post-operative instructions. We'll also give written post-operative instructions. But one thing we did around about 18 months ago is we recorded a video. It was one of uh, my colleague Susie at the practice. She is just explaining to the camera what you need to do, exactly the same kind of stuff that we were giving verbally, but now through a video format. And after analyzing the stats after about a year, a lot of our patients are clicking on this. So even though they've been told verbally, even though they have the sheet, a lot of our patients end up clicking on this YouTube link. So essentially after the extraction, the nurse knows to just go in the templates, automatically send this email because they've had an extraction and that's got like all the reminders for them. And a lot of our patients benefit from this. So the pearl here is consider any procedure for which you give a post-operative instruction and you wanna go really a level beyond, then I think if you can record a video, whether it's on YouTube or one of my favorite programs now, Loom, you can visit loom.dental to uh, learn how that works. So you make a Loom video of you just speaking to the camera, it'll be you in the corner uh, and some, uh, or you can make yourself big as well. And you just explaining the instructions, you can communicate whatever you want through a video message to a patient. I think it really 
adds to the level of care that you're giving. And I think it's something that's quite innovative and it's, you know, it's 2022. So this is the future, I think. This future is video communication uh, and being able to reinforce what you say in the surgery through video. And I think that there's an opportunity here for, for marketing. When the patients watch your video, and if you make it public, then anyone on the internet can, can, can gain some advice after extractions. And that can help you with search engine optimization uh, or your patients, once they watch the video, they're like, you know what, my dentist is awesome. I'm gonna share this link with anyone who needs it. Uh, or the next time they need uh, to give a dentist recommendation, they'll be like, oh, you know what, I'm gonna recommend Jazz or Susie or whatever, because after I had my extraction, they even sent me a video of them explaining everything. And I felt really well looked after. So Pearl is to, to think about could you implement a video letter to your patient as part of post-operative advice or any message that you want to send to them after the appointment? Let's improve your sutures with Nabil Kaji. I'll catch you in the outro. What was your, what's the pathway uh, into implant dentistry uh, in the US? I'm sure there's I, many I, pathways, but what was your pathway? Yeah, my pathway was really the year after I graduated dental school. In dental school, I didn't place a single implant or restore a single implant. Uh, it was really right after I finished dental school. I found myself as a resident in a trauma center and uh, I was an advanced general resident. And part of our charge was to restore all of the implants that the oral surgery residents placed. And those were just tons of trauma cases. So my very first case the day after dental school, or I mean, starting in my residency, was an all on four quad zygomatic. Wow. Uh, honestly, that was my very first case. That's and, the craziest first case I've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it was like, welcome to dentistry, quad zygomatic. And I just loved it. I, um, I, I just loved, you know, everything about like the implant process side. And then part of that year, I got to spend about four months just on oral surgery service. And I picked up a lot of like the base surgery skills that way. And at the end of that year, I said, you know, it wouldn't take too much more for me to be at the point where I could take my patients just start to finish. I want to place the implants right where I want them. I want to restore the cases as I want to. And that really got my, my journey started. It's fascinating, you know, I mean, as Steve, uh, Steve Jobs said, something I've mentioned on the podcast, whenever I'm speaking to a guest, I like to uh, understand their journey. And since we've, I've already hit the record button, you, you mentioned something really cool about your journey. Uh, Dr. Nabil Kaji, welcome to the Protrusive Podcast. Uh, it's great to have you. It's uh, late night uh, in California. It's early morning in Reading, and I really appreciate you You making time. You're a father of an eight-month-old girl. I love your uh, Instagram. And I love you sharing everything. <laughs> and it just makes sense. So on that, on that point of, you know, connecting the dots, it makes sense, your journey, your your evolution, where it started in your residency. And there's always, in everyone's journey, an element of luck and timing involved. Like, had you been in a, in a residency where the, the direction and the mentorship and the cases, and your first case wasn't a quad zygomatic, right? It, yeah. You may have been into a different niche within dentistry. But uh, it's, it's amazing how that, how that blossomed. And then now it makes sense with the suturing masterclass, and we'll talk about that later. But it kind of, when you look back, does it make sense now how you evolved in this direction in your career? Well, uh, honestly, and if I were to even dig f further back, uh, as a child, my mom would embroider and she didn't have any daughters, so she'd actually ask me to help her. Uh, so I think those, those base skills as a child, embroidering with my mom, later on when given the opportunity in residency, it was just fun. It was just fun to jump into those surgery cases and then build from there. And were you like good at suturing straight away because of the hand skills that you had from embroidery? 
I, I think that may have played a role, just be, feeling very comfortable with needle and thread. But honestly, like starting right out of dental school, I didn't know a lot of surgery techniques. I mean, suturing techniques. Uh, I think very few people leave dental school with this whole arsenal of suturing techniques ready to apply in various clinical scenarios. So I think I was inclined toward it. And then given the mentorship specifically of a doctor, Dr. Gaffapur for me, uh, he, he really built my suturing skills as a resident and gave me a foundation to springboard from. And, you know, that's where then I, I was able to build from there and just grow, grow, grow. And I, I just love sharing it at this point. It's interesting to know that because when I think back to my uh, learning of sutures, I remember being, I think it was like second or third year dental school. Uh, and it's a five year course in the UK. Uh, mm -hmm. And we get to like, it's like foam. We're practicing on foam. Yeah. And I, me and this one guy, so there's a group of eight, and me and this one guy were just completely hopeless, right? <laughs> and the reason what prompted me to, to reach out with the, the, the suturing mask class and, and speak to Rex and, uh, and doing the course, and I've got the, the, the sort of models here, and I'm going to show them in a moment, so I love it. Uh, but the reason I, I got into it is because I had this incident where I was suturing, and things weren't going so great. Uh, yeah. And at the end, um, my nurse, the, the way nurses communicate to us, or, or DAs for you guys, yeah. the way they communicate to us uh, in a very subtle and beautiful way that maybe you should do some see in this is oh you know you know the implantologist he he does it differently you know when they say he does it differently that, that's when you know that okay i think i need to re revisit my yeah. surgery skills you know and, and, and i think that's it you know you seem you seem like many gps you know at, at some point you don't stay a basic restorative gp at some point interests grow some people it might be orthodontics but some people are surgically inclined and they want to build in that direction so I think if you want to build in that direction, all of a sudden you're going to start doing more surgical extractions, you know, get into implants, get into these surgical scenarios where you're looking at tissue that you want to bring together. And you say, wait, if I want to bring that tissue more coronal, how would I do it? If I want to bring it down, how would I do it? If I want to close with tension, you know, reading those scenarios, how would I do it? And that's all of a sudden where you're like, okay, I know that's single interrupted, but dropping these single interrupts just aren't, it's just not getting me where I want to go. So what could I do to actually get there? Uh, and you, and you, what you're techniques so right. are out there to do that? You're so right with the question that how would I do that? And that's the that's yeah. question I ask all the time. So in my three years, obviously you're in the you know, implant field and you're niching and your surgical background has influenced you further to go deeper into that field. For me, I'm very much a, a general dentist. Um, I, I like treating all sorts of cases. Uh, I'm author restorative. Uh, but in the last three years, I mean, I, in the last three years, I did my first uh, like full canine to canine uh, palatal functional crown length in the case. That was my, my mm -hmm. first thing that I, uh, I did yeah. in, in a way. That was a big feat for me. So then I, I remember revising the night four. Okay. And then one of the questions was, okay, my sequencing, writing everything down, my protocol. You know what? I'm doing something for the first time, a bigger mm -hmm. case like that, which is a, 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 a step beyond for me, a step above for me. And one of the questions was, how, how am I going to suture this? Is my single interrupted going to be going to be enough kind of thing, right? So I'll ask you, I'll yeah. pitch that at the end. Okay, how would you close such a case? Um, and we'll talk about what type of suture to use. It'd be interesting to know from you. But that was one. And then doing more wisdom teeth from my experiences in Singapore yeah. and being uh, influenced by someone called Neki Jamal in, in, in Canada and his course and stuff. So yeah, definitely I've seen the evolution of surgery. And that's why I think I've recognized that, okay, I need to up my skills here with, with suturing and, and you're the man to help me, Nabil. I can see that already. Uh, so let, let's, let's dive in with the first question, man. I was taught uh, Vicryl. Now, Vicryl is a brand, right? Mm -hmm. Vicryl is a brand. Yeah. It's a PGA. It's polyglycolic yeah. acid, right? 
Mm-hmm. So that was the first suture that was taught to, to, to us uh, as students uh, and mm-hmm. the sizes, which I think will, will, will really go down back to basics. Just explain in a moment about sizes and, and what it actually means for, for the, the newbie dentist listening. Uh, and that's the first sort of uh, suture that we learned. Is that the universal suture? Is that a, if you only had one, would it be that one? Great question. Uh, I'll go back to what are the sizes of sutures. So uh, there's something called the U.S. Pharmacopoeia system. And that's what designates the sizes. So it goes, it starts off as zero, zero, and that's actually the biggest suture you can get. Uh, we will not be using that in dentistry. That'll be to like pull muscles and, and, and big structures in the body together. And then it goes, you know, it just goes further and further up. So, uh, you know, then, so then it goes one O, two O, it's, it's all these O's, but, you know, um, generally in dentistry, we use between 3-0 and about 5-0, If you get into more microsurgery techniques, and that's, say, periodontists that are now using ophthalmic-grade sutures for really, like, tying a papilla gently together, they'll go even further to, like, 7-0, using microscopes and all of that. But let's keep it basic, right, for, for the surgically-minded GP. I would say stick to a range between 4-0 and 6-0, right? Uh, 3-0 is a good one, a 3-0 vicle, but what you'll see is the, the larger the suture is, uh, the thread, you'll, you'll tear the tissue more. You actually mm-hmm. want a, a smaller suture. So 3-0 vicle is a good one. M- one of my personal favorites is the 4-0 uh, PGA. I won't use the brand name because you can get it any of them. That, that is a favorite of mine. However, you know, when we look at sutures, you know, we look at different categories so that you'll see, you know, absorbability would be one, not retention would be another. How long does it hold under tension? Let's see here, a price, you know, uh, the economy of sutures. And unfortunately, when you take all of those different categories and you stack it against sutures, there isn't one suture that has it all. There's some that come close. I, I wouldn't think so. Just like in restorative dentistry, there's no one matrix yeah. system that's best for exactly. all class two restorations. And I, I was definitely expecting you to, to say that. Can you give us like a, a, a one minute guideline as to uh, mm-hmm. Nabil's recipe book in terms of the single erupted in a normal case, would you use four or vicral? And then in, yeah. in, in, in for, for surgical cases, have you, have you, have you or, or is every case so unique depending on the tissues that you actually might yeah. change even between uh, certain types of surgeries? Yeah. So I, I would say, and this is with a caveat, that in the right clinician's hand, the suture choice doesn't actually matter. Right? Okay. However, there are sutures that are better for certain clinical scenarios than others. So to close some graphs, there are some periodontists that will use chromic gut. Yeah, what is, what is up with that name? Like chromic gut, it just sounds right. like the, what, what, what is that name derived from? It just sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, in, in the gut being like the cat gut intestines, you know, chromic uh, formulation to make it last longer. I so, mean, so it's, it's actually but, made from uh, the, the intestines of a, a, a cat? Um, uh, maybe originally, but I think now there might be a little bit more synthetic material used in them. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, th- those, those materials are more natural materials. And for me, I wouldn't think about using a chromic gut in a grafted site because you do have more of an inflammatory response from the breakdown of the suture. But, you know, that's me. I want something that's like inert to the tissue. I would probably use um, 
a monofilament synthetic, which won't trap bacteria, um, which won't trap the plaque on the threads, as well as wick bacteria onto the threads, you know, things like that. But in the right clinician's hand, it works, right? Mm -hmm. However, when, when we're looking at cases, say, as a surgical GP, you know, as a GP, you can do all the surgery cases you want to as long as you're doing them to a high level of care. And I think that's where the suturing choice then does make a difference, where uh, if you were to be in a scenario and you have to explain your work and someone's like, why are you using, you know, this suture? Is that the best suture for the job? You know, I don't want to be in a scenario where I'm saying uh, it's a great suture. It works in some people's hands, but I just you know, use the same one for everything. I, it works. I just use the same one for everything. You know, <laughs> uh, I want to be in a position saying I use the best material for the job. And in yeah. that case, you know, you have the different categories, which would be braided sutures, non-braided sutures, which is kind of like a, a, a twined rope or fishing line. You know, the difference in the, how the threads are laid out, the synthetic and uh, natural sutures, and then the, the, the variances between them. So Vicryl is a braided synthetic. You know, it has the it has the advantage of not having as strong of like an immune response or inflammatory response as it breaks down, but it does wick stuff into it. It does wick debris into the suture. Oh, it's covered um, in plaque usually in my in yeah. my in my hands. <laughs> yeah, it's it, when you, I mean sometimes when I when I when I've used it, patients look back and they say, "I have something growing an infection." You're like, "No, no, no, you don't. Just 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 run the course," you know. Um, Nabil, the difference between your sutures and my sutures is that when they come back to see you, you've actually got a suture to cut. By the time they come and see me after about a week, there's, you know, uh, the patient may think, thankfully, that, oh, wow, there's this suture absorbed. But from your from doing your your course already, I know that actually absorbability can take up to 60 days. I was like, what? OK, so obviously my sutures are falling out <laughs> and not absorbing. <laughs> so, so that's the difference between your sutures and my sutures. You've probably seen a lot of yours come back, whereas mine have just gone uh, uh, ingested. <laughs> Uh, well, you, we can change that, you know. I, I think some of that might come into the knot tying, you know. Yes, we, 100%. We, we can it is exactly that. that. If I was to break down exactly the stage, I think my choices and stuff is okay. It's but it comes down to the the, the knot. Uh, yeah. I'm sure we can explore a few, a few uh, tips there. Uh, anything else? That any so obviously it's a podcast episode at the end of the day. It's, it's to entertain, it's to educate as people are driving and stuff. Uh, any um, key points you want to cover before we go to the next question in terms of the the wide the wide sort of range of different sutures, even yeah. in terms of stocking them as a practice. Yeah. Like how crazy do you want to go? Like having uh, different types. Is there a more economical way to do it? Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think it's it's I think you don't need to have tons of types. I think Vicryl 4.0 or PG 4.0 is a great one for like your everyday extraction, things like that. And then having one like one other or two other uh, synthetic monofilament, say for more delicate uh, positioning of soft tissue, you know, a nylon 5.0 or polypropylene 5.0, those two sutures can, you know, uh, a nylon or polypropylene 5.0 and a 4.0 Vicryl, that can carry you. Mm -hmm. mm. I mean, if, you, if you're speaking to a dentist who, let's say, works in an emergency clinic and all they do is extractions mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's it, they don't do any fine soft tissue work and they just get people out of pain, then the, the only one they probably need to stock to, to, to keep, you know, in terms of law economics would probably be a 4.0 Vicryl. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I'd say a 4.0 Vicryl. Uh, yeah, that's it's a great suture for extractions. I'm not a big fan of the the gut sutures for extractions, especially sometimes in wisdom teeth. Especially if there's muscle pull, it just breaks them apart. Uh, so the the vicryl can actually have some strength and fall out if the patient doesn't come back for a follow up. 
Yes, I, I can vouch for that one. Uh, <laughs> Nabil, what are the most essential types of sutures to know? What I mean is, you know, I can do a single interrupted, I can do a horizontal mattress, uh, and before coming to your course, that, that's, that's all I know, okay? So, um, what are, so like as a young dentist, newly qualified, which ones do you absolutely need to know? And then as you evolve your interest, what are the kind of sutures that you think that we should uh, know as a clinician? Good question. You know, I, I think everything starts with the single interrupted, but uh, so, uh, it's, and I think it's good to practice. Anytime you get a chance to suture, just drop that single interrupted. Uh, but at some point you'll realize that doesn't carry you far enough. Uh, so uh, a suture that I think every dentist should know, uh, and one that I want you to place tomorrow is the Laurel suture. Okay. okay. Uh, once you, uh, it, it combine it's, it's a twist off the horizontal mattress that you know, and it's one step above that, right? Once you place the Laurel suture, you're going to get hooked on suturing because you're going to look at your <laughs> flaps come together beautifully and you're going to say this one simple variation of something I was doing all of a sudden led to a big difference. And so that's going to be the next step. And then from there, you know, there's all the continuous ones. And I think it's just going to instill a fire in you to, to learn more and more. Uh, I think the continuous ones is something that I'm looking forward to, to learn from the course because uh, at the moment I'm on like decision making, the, the kit and stuff. Uh, the kit just arrived two days ago, which I'm, uh, you know, I'll just show this uh, now. It just cleared customs. Uh, yes, so it cleared custom. So it is, this is cool because I was speaking to Rex and I was like, look, I really want to do this course, but I don't want to do it just the, the, the lectures only. I want to ha experience the hands-on. They're like, well, we haven't really shipped out before. And I was like, listen, make it happen. Let's see if we can uh, make this international now. And I can, uh, these, these blades made it through, man. Uh, these blades made it through. Amazing. Uh, got everything in here. Uh, yeah, I know, right? So you got all the different types in here, uh, but these models are something else. And they're the same ones. What I love is that it's the same ones that you use in the videos that you show uh, yeah. and the different angles that you show is going to be make it really good and amenable for me to, to, to practice those. So uh, practice the Laurel and the continuous. I think I know in my head what to do, but on, and, and, and but if I see it in a video and then the, the pace that you go at was just perfect, but also awesome. there's the ability to pause and yeah. watch again yeah. and watch again, which for yeah. me, when, I'm, when I was previously looking at textbooks and even online, yeah. looking at um, diagrams, uh, or, yeah. you know, the drawings and stuff, illustrations, yeah. I, I, don't, I just can't learn that, that like that. Yeah. I actually see someone to do it. Uh, and I think your point is great that you must implement, like you said, do the Lorette and do it straight away. I want you to do it tomorrow. When you, I've learned sutures in the past. I've learned, you know, some way of, uh, you know, on the, on the extraction course and maybe just a little bit thrown in there. Oh yeah, do the suture. If I don't do an extraction soon, I don't practice that specific type of knot or yeah. technique. You know, yeah. you, you forget, you forget the exactly, oh, is it this way? Is it that way? Uh, and then in the, you know, you, I'm already running late. And the, the, the pressure's on and my nurse is looking at me like, hurry up. Uh, and at that point, you're like, yeah. okay, single, yeah. single interrupted, the one that will yeah. fall out in a week. So I think it's yeah. great to have that kind of resource to, to, to look back on. Uh, so, um, I mean, amazing. So uh, with, with those different uh, techniques that you show, I'm looking forward to practice them on the models. Mm -hmm. One other suture that I use is the horizontal mattress and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, particularly after an extraction, like a purse string, draw everything together. Yeah. And, and a variant of that, which I learned when I was in Singapore, is, is the cross stitch. So instead of going like a, a, as a square, you're just going uh, a diagonally one across. So it just makes like a, a, an X sign. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. that's something that I use so is a, a, a similar variant. Uh, when uh, is that the main indication for a horizontal? And when would you actually use a vertical mattress suture? Good question. So what you're talking about is what we call the figure of eight suture, 
where you form an X across. And, and that suture is actually ideally used during socket grafting because you can place something in the socket and it'll form an X or almost like a net on top of it. Uh, it it's a great suture. One of the issues I think you may have with those sutures is when you tie your knot, it, it, it bounces up. Do you find it hard to get the knot flat against the tissue? Uh, yes, yes, I, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Okay, so that's a tricky thing. And um, it, in the course, there's something I call the modified surgeon's knot. It's where you do three forward throws, two reverse, one forward. And that'll help you get those that tighter. Just a little tidbit. But um, that's a great suture to close an extraction site. But I want you to try the Laurel. The Laurel yes. is going to change how you see extractions. Completely change Amazing. It. You're going to Amazing. call me I mean, tomorrow. I'm doing so much more sectioning and elevating. So the need to suture here and, and, and obviously yeah. with my evolution, I want to be able to help my, I'm referring more to the implantologist and, you know, I'd, exactly. be, I'd, be able to, I'd like to help him with the grafting. Yeah. So I think that's where it's going to come in. And yes, excited to, to learn the, the Laurel technique. When would you use a, a vertical? I've never had to use, yeah. probably because of the lack of knowledge or experience, but yeah. uh, what is the indication for a vertical What's mattress? What's the difference between a vertical and the, and the horizontal mattress? And, and then when, when do you would you? You use the yeah. yeah exactly so the the difference between the two and when you think about it the horizontal mattress has two entry points which are basically say mesial and distal right um, when you close and say you're trying to bring together the tissues with a little tension if you pull too tight on the knot you choke the tissue because it's 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 the knot is horizontal across so the horizontal mattress can actually be used. I'm just going to give a clinical example. Say if you're biopsying something, mm -hmm. you can actually place a horizontal mattress at the base of it and cut your lesion out and it holds hemostasis. Clever. Right? Think about that. But is that necessarily what you want when you're grafting a site to choke the choke the blood supply? That's what you don't I, I, want. I love the way of saying it, choking. I, it just, it's a perfect term to use, actually. Right? So the vertical mattress takes the horizontal mattress, and because now the now you're looking at a, a more apical and coronal entry point, it does the same thing but doesn't choke the blood supply. Mm -hmm. And that the say say you're trying to be really delicate and bring a papilla up together, the last thing you want to do is choke the blood supply. You could use a vertical mattress to bring the papilla up. Got it. Very good. And I think uh, as a uh, GP doing more and more surgery, uh, do you think a vertical is something that is a, a natural evolution sort of technique to, to learn beyond horizontal mattresses? Do you think it's essential uh, in, in surgery? Uh, I, I think it will have, um, have its advantages. Say bringing tissue up and not choking the blood supply very delicately, like say bringing a papilla up, it does. Uh, however, for closing it, then you may want to look into, you know, what we, uh, what, you know, there's suture techniques named after different surgeons for different scenarios. So we go over a lot of them, the, the Laurel, the Biddlestone, the, um, you know, the Ford, uh, a lot of these ones meant for these scenarios of grafting and others. Very good. And when we come to tying the knot, I mean, you mentioned already making sure that we don't choke it, uh, tension-free. Yeah. Is there a description or a guideline in terms of, uh, to, uh, uh, you know, tomorrow morning when we may be suturing, how tight do you want to go? Is there a guideline? Is there a test? Mm -hmm. Have you, if you've uh, choked it, how do you know you choked it? How do you know you're too loose? Like a lot of mine are yeah. <laughs> guilty of being perhaps too loose and I justify it in my head. Like, yeah, you know what? I'm not, I'm not choking the tissues. I'm not choking. But is there a guideline as to how, how tight they should be? Blanched after you're, you've tied down. Uh, what you want to see, and when you, 
when you throw your, your, your knots down, there, there's various types of surgery knots. And, uh, you know, the, so there's the common, the, the most common surgical knot is two forward throws, one reverse throw, right? So two times count clockwise or counterclockwise, then you reverse it. And then there's what we do, the, the modified surgeon's knot, which is three throws. And it has its advantages and disadvantages. But what you want to see is when you do your first throw, you want to see those threads lay down nice and flat against the tissue. Uh, not with a lot of tension because you don't need a lot of tension, but you want to see that that first throw lay down flat. And then when the second throw comes down, you want to see it lay neatly on top of the first throw. Uh, that lo just locks it in. Uh, and then you add on a couple extra just to secure the knot. But it doesn't have to close with a lot of tension. The knot doesn't, you know, the it just has to lay down flat against the tissues. So lay it flat, but but no blanching. Uh, and previously, when I mean, now that we're talking numbers and throws and stuff, um, from the background I come from, the way I was taught was two in one direction, one in the other direction, and then one again in the opposite direction. Uh, is that acceptable? Because I know there's so many variations. Uh, is that yeah. okay? Yeah, that, 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 that's fine. You know, sometimes. But is say, that the uh, Nabil Kaji way? Is that the Nabil Kaji way? What's the Nabil Kaji way? <laughs> yeah, you, you saw by. I was like, yeah, you can do that. You know, when um, part of my part of my training was seeing special needs individuals with special needs in the operating room, and one of our rules was that not better not come loose, mm -hmm. because if those stitches came loose, that patient has to go back to the operating room because you can't see them otherwise. So, and these aren't patients that are compliant. They're going to intervene. They're going to want to play with their sutures. So this is uh, under general anesthetic or sedation? Yeah, yeah under general okay. anesthesia. Got it. Um, so, uh, and if, if, if those sutures weren't tight, we, were had, to, we had to cut them and, and tie them again if they weren't secure. So we would do two forward, one reverse, two forward, one reverse, two forward, one reverse. Six, Wait, that six many, throws. That, that many times? Okay, okay. Stacking wow. it that many times. <laughs> I think that's... You, in a general practice, you don't have to do it that many times. But at this stage, I generally go two, one, two, one. Two, one, two, one. Okay. And, and the reason for it is if you see, when you look at your knot, the two forward throws, it's like two, one, two, one. The knot just locks on itself. What we, you know, and there's something called the square knot, which is generally one forward throw, one reverse throw. But when mm -hmm. you look at it, two... Single throws can actually unravel on itself a bit, but not, but when you, but technically we're stacking the actual surgeon's knot. And that's mm -hmm. just so much more secure. Amazing. Well, you've answered my main questions I wanted about, about suturing. And I think there's a lot of nuggets there for everyone to go away with. And when they place in the next suture to, to realize about, okay, uh, putting too much tension, the different ones available. But I think it's maybe inspired people for those who, who are thinking, okay, I need to improve my suturing skills. Uh, yeah. What's the next step? I think your, 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 your course is, is the answer for that. Uh, tell us about the making of this course. Uh, what is the mission statement uh, and, and how you think that this is changing the, the, the sort of way that we can learn sutures? Who I had in mind when we made this course is essentially the, the surgically minded GP. You know, someone who's been wanting to get into implants or been placing them for some time and now sees some of the challenges. Um, you know, someone who, who sees, you know, wants to jump into some soft tissue grafting, someone who wants to do some wisdom teeth. But there's, there's essentially a rule that I, I live by, which is only open what you can close. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're seeing these scenarios and you want to close them right. Um, you know, and, and essentially it's, it's three things. You know, it's, you, you want to close these right because suturing, 
excelling at suturing does three things. It, it helps patients heal better, less complications, you know, eliminate dry socket from your practice with good suturing, essentially. It allows you to grow as a clinician and take on more surgery cases uh, because if, if you find that fun, well, why not have fun every day? And the other part to it is I really believe suturing is the signature you leave on your, on your surgery cases. Wow, I love that. I, I, I really believe that. I love it. And I, I take great pride in this where when I'm done with a wisdom tooth case, I hand my patient a mouth mirror and I say, look inside. Mm-hmm. I want them to see the suturing work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, and when they're like, wow, it's, I'm not even bleeding. It's clean. You know, it's it, that it, 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 it's just, it helps everything. Um, suturing is not one of those skills you, you leave dental school and you have all of them. And my goal is just to give that dentist who really wants to get into these cases and do that type of work, you know, as much as I can give them from my experiences, my training and, uh, and understanding to be able to read scenarios on a clinical side and then apply, you know, if we want to move tissue and, you know, up, down, you know, uh, as well as a good understanding of the fundamentals, which would be, you know, what, what types of threads are out there? What are their pros and cons? You know, th- though these are lectures of their own. But, but the, the videos have... are just so clear in, in demonstrating in terms of clarity of the lessons, the pace and the ability to rewatch again and again and again. <laughs> because yeah. my evolution and it just came at a perfect time for me as I'm venturing more into perioprosto. Uh, I'm yeah. actually going on in, in 15 July. I'm going on um, the dentist called Billy Arsha in the UK. He's a fantastic mm-hmm. clinician uh, and he's doing a perioprosto course. Uh, Cool. Um, and, and I can see myself getting more into uh, yeah. more crown lengthening case in the future. Yeah. So I want to arm myself. So yeah, back on that question I was going to ask you, uh, crown lengthening, uh, functional crown lengthening on the mm-hmm. palatal side of the upper canine to canine, uh, and you've removed some bone, and then now you're, and, and obviously uh, cut some gum away, and now you're approximating the tissues back. Uh, obviously, cases vary, but what is the kind of suture that you would use for, 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 for that kind of case, if you were to visualize that case now? So, so you... Straight across canine to canine. Yes, correctly. I scalloped. I removed about two yes. millimeters of, uh, of, of ginger, a scallop palatal side. I did not raise any fl- uh, flap labially, just palatally. Yeah. Uh, okay, and then just to approximate the okay. tissue. So what I did, I just did, because that's all I knew, I did uh, between each papilla, I did a single interrupted. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is that uh, okay? And then uh, is there something else that could be a bit better? And I probably use uh, 4-0 Vicryl. So uh, yeah. again, the, the, the result healed fine. I'm now in, uh, yeah. it's part of my full mouth rehab. It's now onto crowns and I, yeah. I managed to gain the ferrule that I wanted. Mm-hmm. But that signature that I leave on my patients at the moment, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel as though it's going to be better now that I found you, uh, but, but it's something that I'm working on. So uh, is there any uh, way that you would approach this kind of scenario? Generally, whenever I'm laying flap, uh, you know, tissue back against the teeth, uh, you know, and, and you want to, and you want to, especially moving the papilla exactly where you want them to go. And that type of approximation, I look to the, a sling suture or the continuous sling. Uh, that's, it, it's just, you have so much control over how the, the papilla get laid down. It's, uh, it, 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 it's, it's amazing. And you cover that and, on the course, and, right? It's yeah, it's definitely in the course. It, I had you know, it's it's a great suture. The uh, it it is a little tricky. I mean, I I love that you jump straight into. You're like I'm I'm not even going labial. I'm going palatal. You know, I I <laughs> I, I admire your 
Um, I, uh, I had good mentorship, you're, you're, Nabil. I had, there's, a, there's a periodontist called uh, Amit Patel who really sat with me and said, okay, this is the game plan. Uh, he drew the diagrams for me. And I had a little bit of experience and, and I was doing yeah. more surgery in the last three years, more yeah. than I ever had before. So, uh, and the case went brilliantly. I was, I was really proud yeah. uh, and, and really helped my patients. So it was at the right time for me, but I know I'll yeah. be doing more of this in the next three to five years. Uh, so yeah. it, was, it, was, it was, your course came at the right time for me in terms of my awesome. learning needs. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, for a lot of those, for me, it's the, as I said, the continuous sling. I would probably have gone for a 5.0 polypropylene suture mm -hmm. or a 5.0 PTFE suture. Um, I, I think for, for these cases, the, the Vicryl is a great suture, but when you see how, with, when you jump to the 5.0 suture, the needle also changes. You, you probably have, you know, what was used, an FS2 needle, which is a little bigger, and the ability just to slide through these tissues and control them. And you'll just see how gentle these sutures are then to the actual tissue. You know, uh, you, you fell in love when you got married and when you had your child, you're going to fall in love again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Buddy, thank you so much for giving up your, your, your time. Uh, and uh, th there's a, a little discount code that uh, Implant Ninja team have given us. I'll share that in the outro with everyone so that they can check out your course. I'm excited to learn the Laurel. I'm excited to now go back and, and, and see what I should have done with that crown lengthening case. But, you know, it, uh, one thing I was going to say in the intro as well is there are two types of courses, Nabil, right? There are these courses which do have some degree of return on investment. Like if you go on a uh, mm -hmm. certain type of, uh, if you've got an implant course, learn how to place implants, then yeah. you hope that yeah. in five years time, you're gonna make a return on investment on that implant course. With suturing, I, I agree with that it may reduce a dry socket, it, um, it may reduce post-operative complications, but it's difficult to assign a bottom line yeah. to better suturing. But there's nothing better than having the confidence that, you know what, my, yeah. my suture is gonna stay. This is my signature, yeah. just like you said, I love that. And Having the, uh, the the knowledge and the, the the feeling that you're giving the best surgical care to your patient, mm -hmm. you can't put a price on that, right? There's no ROI yeah. needed. That is the ROI right there. So that's the category yeah. that your course comes in, my, in, in how I feel. So I'm excited to, to really practice, practice, practice. Uh, and what I'll do is, uh, crown length in case I do, uh, I will DM you on Instagram, share your Instagram in a moment, uh, mm -hmm. my suturing of this link, and I cannot wait to do that, my friend. Uh, tell us your Instagram handle, my friend. Uh, it's... Uh at Dr. Kaji. At Dr. So, Kaji, amazing. Uh, everyone, uh, ch check out Nabil and his work and his uh, journey as a, as a new parent, relatively new parent, and all the implant stuff that he does. Uh, any final words while you have the microphone to the world of dentists, mostly UK, Europe, but now US, uh, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, what do you want to say to everyone uh, on this topic? Well, first of all, Jazz, I just want to thank you for having me uh, tonight or this morning on your side. And, you know, to the world of dentists, I, I think dentistry is just such a beautiful field that we have the opportunity to grow, to grow on a daily basis, to grow on a yearly, a career path. You know, where your skills are today and where you'll be in a year, two years, maybe completely different. And I, I really want to see our generation of dentists, uh, you know, really defining something new for the field, uh, bringing you know, new technology, new techniques to the forefront. I, I really wanna see us practicing like we're in 2022, later on, you know, like we're in the future. And I just really hope that you know, what you experienced with us during this podcast was valuable. And if you choose to take the course, that it really benefits you. It, it certainly will, my friend. Thank you so much for giving up your time. 
Well, there we have it, guys. Some great inspiration there for suturing. If you're on that journey like I am, sometimes little things that we take for granted, like suturing, is exactly the kind of thing that you need to do to feel more confident about your overall surgical skills. So if you want to level up your suturing, head to protrusive.co.uk forward slash suture, and it will take you straight to where you want to be to enroll in the class. Uh, and as part of the Protruserati discount, that famous Protrusive discount code, if you use it on there, you'll get $70 off. Now, the, if you're international people, i.e. if you're outside the US, you will get $70 off, and that will be reflected on the shipping, because the shipping is, is quite dear. It's about $100 or so. So if we can knock off $70 from the shipping, that makes it a bit more palatable. And it makes sense why the shipping is so much, because it's medical equipment being sent to you, and the models and stuff, which you get to keep, obviously. So so that will take care of the, the uh, most of the shipping for you. But if you're in the US, then you can knock off $70 off the overall price of the course. So check out protrusive.co.uk forward slash suture, and we'll take you straight to the Implant Ninja School, where you can enroll to level up your game in suturing. Thank you so much for joining me, and I'll catch you in the next one.